the cold weather, uh, the cold weather comes, um, I was thinking about wrapping up warm. And whenever I think of really heavy coats, I, I remember it must have been on Blue Peter when I was about six years old. Um, Chris Bonington, who had this massive coat, this unbelievably big coat, because he was going to be going to Everest. And the expedition there was still an unusual thing. It had been 22 years since Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay had reached the summit, but it was still something special that people were going to go and try and climb the highest mountain in the world. Today, well, not today, because I'm probably not doing it today, but nowadays, such expeditions are not normally big news. Those climbing to the top, to the highest place, have grown and grown and grown in number each year. And it's actually starting to become crowded at times. People jostling for position. But last year, because of the avalanches that took place, no one got to the summit. And that was the first time that had happened since 1974. The first time nobody had been there. A couple of years earlier, there'd been about 500 it gets busy up there at times. But even though you might get 500 or 600 in a year, it's still an incredible achievement getting to the summit. Many still suffer injury or death. Yet we remember who was first. Not the 10th. Don't know. Anybody know who was 10th on Everest? I'm not sure that I could find it out. Or the 23rd? Or the 6,000th? You know, there's been more than 6,000 stood there. The record books show who is the first. But they don't show everyone who's done it. This morning, my sermon is called The First. And Adrian was saying to me, you, you've just written the first. You've not written the first disciple. I was saying, well, it is kind of, isn't it? But there's so much more there about first. The first call to follow Jesus and the first response. Andrew and somebody else that doesn't get their name mentioned. Perhaps the writer of the fourth gospel. Perhaps not. The first piece of evangelism. 
somebody that knows Jesus, going out and saying, come and discover Jesus. And also the first encounter between Simon and Jesus. And immediately we see Jesus rename the young man that stood before him, calling him a rock. Calling him Peter for the first time. Many firsts. But through it all, he's the one that's in control. Jesus is in charge. He is the one who's there at the beginning. The one that was there at the beginning of all things. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. In the passage, God's people have been waiting a long time for this to happen. They've been living in hope and expectation. And when John the Baptist started to prepare the way, many knew that something would happen soon. And they hung around, waiting to see what would follow, hoping to learn. But the humility of the Baptist expressed not just in clothing and diet, but in words. Make it clear that the thing that's got to happen is not with John, and it's Jesus. The two followers of John the Baptist behave as shy teenage groupies as they begin to follow Jesus. They're not rash as they might have been today. They don't rush up and ask for a selfie. They keep a distance and sort of tag along somewhere behind. They want to approach him but they just don't know how. They hang about. And then finally, Jesus takes charge. He wants people to discover who he is just as they want to discover something about him. And so he asks of the two men that are following, what do you want? You know, I suppose if there's somebody trailing you, you're going to say that, aren't you? What do you want? What are you doing there? Why are you following my every move? I wonder how you'd respond if Jesus said to you, what do you want? What is it that you want from him? Hope? Love? Peace? Justice? Righteousness? Belonging? Freedom? Joy? Clarity of mind, healing, forgiveness, direction, 
security, wholeness. All these things and more can come from Jesus the Christ. But the response given by the men in the passage is, where are you staying? I don't think that's maybe quite what we'd say. But the the indication is that they want to spend time with him. They want time. They want time to sit at his feet and learn. They want time to grow in understanding. They want to find out more of his ways. I'm pretty sure that they're not just looking for local accommodation. You know, they are wanting something. And his response is, come and see. He pushes the doors open and gives them a chance to take a peek. If they chose to, they could withdraw. But... Here he offers something. He says, come, discover, find out. And that's a good way of us approaching people. Saying, why don't you just come and see what happens? Why don't you just come and give it a try? They wanted to draw near to Jesus. He wants them to draw near to him. He wants us to draw near too, to discover more of who he is and who the Father is and how he cares for us, how he has love. Love that leads to the cross and beyond the cross. From this encounter and this first afternoon, starting about the 10th hour, about four o'clock in the afternoon it takes place. Andrew's heart is warmed. He knows that this is right. And he knows that he has to respond. Not just respond for himself, but he has to get the message out. And so he goes to tell Simon the good news of finding Jesus. Often for the young or the new believer, that's something that they do. When they find out something, they tell and they encourage and they bring. As we get older... As more time has passed from when we first heard the gospel, we can be guilty of losing that sense of going out and grabbing people and saying, come, you must discover this. It's life-changing. Perhaps... For some of us, we find it difficult to talk about our faith. 
we might find it particularly difficult with our families. I give thanks very much for that testimony. It just fits in with what we're thinking today. Because those that have gone from the church, those that we long to know the word, it can be really difficult to tell them, to encourage them, and we have to pray for them. We need to be like Andrew and go to our brother or our sister, to our son or our daughter, maybe to our grandchildren, or maybe for some of us, our parents, and pass on the news that there is hope and there is love, that the Messiah has come. Andrew has told his brother, and Simon comes to find out more. But there's no introduction. Jesus simply looks at the young man and names him. Simon, son of John, you will be called Peter. Jesus knows who the man is and he knows who he will be. He looks beyond what we would see, the person in the street, what coat they're wearing, what shoes they've put on, whether they look a bit cold. He knows what's inside, whether they really are cold. And he knows that they need to feel his love and in what way. He looks and he sees the things that we keep hidden. And maybe even the things that we would rather not be seen to have done. Who, but as he does that, whoever he sees, he loves That you are not the first person to believe or to encounter him does not change the love that he has for you. That he loves you totally. Couldn't possibly love you more. He loves you completely. And he loves the stranger on the street completely too. You are loved. Do you share that love? It's not always easy to do it. Because someone has been there before, because someone has passed on that message, it doesn't mean it's going to be easier for you. It might be a struggle. 
You might get hurt along the way. You might get rejected. And that might be hard. But the adventure is there awaiting you. Join with the one who is first. The one who has conquered not the highest mountain, but has conquered sin and death. And proclaim his love and the good news of what that love means for all. Amen.